0: Dear Lord, thank you for this time together, your people congregated, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as you've instructed, coming together to fellowship and to worship you, to grow closer to you in in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that You will use me today, Father, to impart your word. And that we will all leave here the better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, the beginning, God spoke. That day... That first page of the Bible starts out that way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then He said some things. He spoke. And there was light. He spoke. And there was... The firmament was separated from the sky, from the earth, and He spoke. He spoke eight times. And on that eighth time, He created us said, let us create man in our image. The hour is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Then he gave us dominion, authority, and power in this earth. Then man gave it away to Satan in the garden. Jesus redeemed it back. He purchased it back with his own blood, didn't he? And he gave it back to us. Those of us who believe. And now we call to a life of faith. In him. In his words. And when we are obedient. To the faith. Our words. Will line up. With his words. And they will produce good fruit. Words. Words. Words are very important. I want you to just see how important they are. God created everything we know with words. And then he created us in his image. To be creative beings just as he is. To let us see how important words are. Unlike the world will say, you know, that story about sticks and stones will hurt, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Quite the contrary is true. Words do all the damage. Sticks and stones could do some physical damage to this body, but words do more lasting and harmful damage or building up. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away. Everything we see here is going to burn up. But my words will not pass away. The word's going to last. When nothing else is is here that we remember being here, the word will last. He said in Matthew 12, starting at the 32nd verse through the 37th verse. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And he says something. He starts talking about a tree being known by its fruit. In the Bible, when they talk about trees, they're talking about men. So the tree is you, And the fact that it is known by its fruit. I'll make the case today that he's talking about. In large part our words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Okay. And those who love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Verse 33. Either make the tree good. So if, if you're the tree, make the tree good and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. It sounds like in Revelation where he said, I wish you were either hot or cold. For, for the tree is known by its fruit. He was talking to some religious folks who thought they were good. And he went on to call them, verse 34, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Turn to James chapter 3, toward the back, right before Peter, right after Hebrews. James chapter 3. James is a powerful, powerful book of the Bible. James was commonly known as the head of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus went on. He was a half-brother of Jesus. Just as Jude was. They weren't much on believing when Jesus was alive, but believe me, After he was resurrected, they got on board. James chapter 3. I'm going to focus in on James chapter 3, the first 18 verses here, for a few minutes. Just to drive this point home and get us thinking about our words. Because words are very powerful. Apart from the wisdom and the words and the help of God. Our words will only do harm. Truth be known. We need wisdom from above to use our words wisely. Our words also reveal the condition of our hearts toward God. Throughout the Bible, the scriptures address the tongue. Sometimes referred to as hyssop or the small member. The tongue. James devotes here an entire chapter to controlling the tongue. When we consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 that I just read about the gravity of our words, we understand the importance of how we should handle our tongues our speech is what we're talking about it's a great indicator of the condition of our hearts toward God as i said by the fruit the tree will be known anybody ever heard of aesop not from the bible aesop was a greek he lived about 600 years after christ i guess Actually before, actually before, yeah, it was B.C. Anyway, he wasn't a Christian writer, of course, but he, he had, there's a, there's a book called Aesop's Fables. He has a collection of these fables that are attributed to him. They don't have any of his writings that are left over, but he's pretty cool because he uses funny stories about animals with human characteristics. To get his point across. Kind of like Confucius stories, but Aesop's fables have, have, have uh, animals that talk and stuff like that. <laughs> I just like that sort of thing. And he shares a helpful fable that illustrates the point I'm making today about words and hypocrisy. It says this Once upon a time, a donkey. Found a lion's skin. He tried it on. And he strutted around and he he frightened a bunch of the animals with it. Then a fox came along and the donkey tried to scare him too. But the fox, hearing the donkey's voice, said, If you want to terrify me, you'll have to disguise your bray, your voice. And the moral of Aesop's story is clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Our words give us away. It doesn't take very long for me to visit with somebody before I can tell what sort of seed they have planted in their garden, the garden of their heart, because they're bearing fruit. James chapter 3, we're about to read the first 18 verses, we see that the tongue has a lot of power and that by its nature, apart from God, it's a hypocrite and that it can only be transformed from above. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect. He's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses... It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Let's stop there for now. Woo! That's tough. That really... (laughs) That really punch you right in the gut, doesn't it? I mean, as Christians, we're thankful because we have Jesus. He loves us. He doesn't discipline us. We learn here that unlike a lot of... uh, Christian uh, teaching that's in error, God doesn't punish us with broken limbs and poverty and divorce and strife and cancer and all that sort of nonsense like some people claim, but he he teaches us with his word, doesn't he, if we allow him, if we look into the righteous mirror of this word and we let it read us (laughs) and make some course corrections, we benefit from it, don't we? So that's what we're doing today. Where if, it, if the shoe fits. And you know. It's just like buying a pair of shoes. The tongue comes with it. <laughs> he says a lot of things here. He, you know a lot of people. Most people. Want to be heard. Pride speaks. Pride wants to be heard. What, what a better way to, to be heard you know as a believer than than to be a teacher of the gospel but James says here he's urging us he said better reconsider and consider the power of the tongue not to be hasty in putting ourselves out there into a position where the tongue is constantly used unless we've really know we've been called by God it's not wise because it's powerful and Because of it, we're going to incur stricter judgment. So it better be based on a love for God and the anointing from God. There's an old adage that says hurting preachers hurt people. And I've seen that to be true in the past. But anyway, he's just saying you better really think about it because your words are powerful. And if you're just out there just throwing stuff around just to be heard. (laughs) And it's not from God. God sees it. He's going to judge you for it. You know, we're not going to go through the white throne judgment where we go to hell. Thankfully, Jesus has settled that for us. But we will still be judged on our words and our works. And anything that's not of God and for the kingdom of God and doesn't bring him glory, it's going to burn up. As we walk through as through a fire. And it will burn up like hay and stubble. So it's good to put God first in our lives. Amen. James says here, control the tongue, control the man. Or woman. He argues from the greater to the lesser. In verse 2 he says, if you can control the tongue, then you'll be able to control the rest of the body as well. He used some illustrations here. In verse 3, he said if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You put a bit into the mouth of a a, a horse that's many, many times stronger and more powerful than us. And all we have to do is gently pull on those reins one way or the other, and we guide that whole horse. We control his head. And on a horse, I don't know, you know if any of you know anything about horses, but if you can, can, if you can turn their head, you can turn the horse. The horse will never run off with you and you can get his head to turn. Once he gets started, it's too late. <laughs> but if you can turn that head, he can't run off with you. But God, God asks us other places in the Bible, He says don't be like the, the mule or the horse that has to be Maintain with a bit, you know. He wants us just to obey. Just be kind of love and, and, and not have to be treated harshly in order to get His way across to us, you know. And that's by far the better. He also used the illustration of a ship. Even though it's a gigantic vessel and powerful winds blow the sails and move it through the water, just a, just a tiny little rudder controlled by the captain of that ship causes the ship to go in the direction that he wants it to go and he's, a, he's, he's saying that that's, that's a, as our tongue is for the human being not only will your life go the predominant way of your thoughts but of your words Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it starts with a thought, and it ends up coming on out in the form of words. But it's all part of the same process. Even sin has to be birthed in our thought life. Big things come from a tiny tongue. And there's a a point to be made that the time in which we live, people give very little thought to what they say. And it shouldn't be so. People don't care. Um, They say, well, I'll be at a certain place at a certain time. And most of the times, that's just a guesstimate. (laughs) It used to not be that way. It's really gotten bad in our culture. People make promises, but unless there's a check attached to the end of it for them, you better recheck to make sure they're going to do what they said. People don't uh, put a lot of stock in their words, but God says a righteous man will swear to his own hurt and change not. That means you'll make a commitment and then later you'll realize that's not good for me. That's actually going to cost me or put me out in a big way. God says, don't change it. You said it. And then Jesus talks about it again. He says, if you make a commitment to someone and you find out that you can't, or it's not something you can do, go and beg that person out of it. It's that serious of a matter to God. And it should be to men and women. He said... He, he also used the illustration in verse 5 of a, a wildfire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Again, he's talking about the tongue. And we know, uh, anyone that's got any experience in this world <laughs> at all, you know, you, you see that uh, a, lot, a lot of problems can come from people's big mouths. Man, I don't know why anyone would even run for public office anymore. Every single word they say is scrutinized so harshly. And the person reporting about it, you can can almost tell which political party they're from because it's amazing how they can have completely different viewpoints about the same conversation every time. (laughs) That's just the way it rolls. But better than anything else, the tongue displays the state of our hearts. And in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own power, we can't really control the tongue. That's what he's saying here. And if he left us in that condition, it would be a terrible part of the Bible. Just that the tongue is a deadly poison that no man can stop. It's like, wow, thanks a lot. <laughs> but as I've told you many times, God will never leave you in that condition if He points it out. He's planning on helping you out of that situation and circumstance. Amen. We're not left to ourselves. We're never alone. We have Jesus. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Amen. Verse 9 and 10. Talking about the tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The tongue can sing praises to God and then turn around and and cuss the guy out that just cut you off in traffic. And he's saying there's something wrong here. It's revealing something in you that God really wants to get out. Look at verse 10 and 12. 10 through 12. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This shouldn't be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? That's a. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he answers the question. It's just not possible. So he's saying, if we're praising God in our prayer closet and in our church and we're going around our day and our homes talking ugly to our fellow man. To our family. To people out in the world. So you, you're suffering from an identity crisis. Because if you belong to God. Then that ugly person is not who you really are anymore. So stop with the hypocrisy. James isn't saying this to unbelievers. Because he says, my brothers. (laughs) So it's something that we struggle with. God's been dealing very severely with me in this area. Not necessarily my words, but it starts here. And even if you think it, it's the same difference, really. It's not as bad. I mean, (laughs) it's good if you can stop yourself, but if you're dwelling on things that you shouldn't be and you're not summarily dispossessing them from your mind there may be a problem that's all that's all he's saying it's hypocrisy and it shouldn't be the the way that we are believers and here's here's what he's been, been showing me believers ought to all the time be growing more consistent in their speech. Consistently good. Consistently patient. Consistently loving. Consistently wiser. God doesn't care where you've been. He's more interested in the direction you're headed. And Practice, you ever heard the old saying, practice makes perfect? That's not true. I, I remember when I was a young man, a couple of different situations where this was always put before me. One, when I was in, in band, when I was a trumpet player in, in, uh, in junior high, when we started out, we had this horrific band instructor who would throw stuff at people, start with erasers and things, and then if... He ran out of other things. He'd pick up music stands and things like that. He'd be in jail today. But back then, you just kept your mouth shut and never told your parents because you'd get another whooping if they thought you got in trouble at school for anything. They never thought they might have been wrong, you know. <laughs> but this guy had a sign hanging up behind the bandstand, stand, or instructor, or wherever he was, the director's podium, where we could all see it, big banner. It said... instead of practice makes perfect it said practice makes consistent perfect practice makes perfect application and I never forgot that and right after that time within a year or two I I got involved in martial arts so I had to hide that from my mom I drove across town on my bike for a year and a half before she ever found out I ran up such a debt because I had any money to pay <laughs> that the instructor finally had to take me under his wing and get me up to speed so I could be an assistant instructor uh, for the children's class so that he could stop charging me. And then one thing led to another. And next thing you know, I, I became an instructor there and it was great. But that was one of his Main things too. If you ever came by and somebody was nonchalantly going through the motion or on a heavy bag, if they're just kind of slapping at it or something like that, they just knock you right on the ground. And he'd tell you you're just practicing to be defeated. So you always practice with everything you got. Just like the real thing. And the purpose was just like I'm saying. Perfect practice. Perfect application. Or consistent. Right? So that's what the believer. When it comes to our words and other issues of our character and our heart toward God. We need to make sure that we're on the right growth path with God, and we can ask Him, "How am I doing?" You know, and believe me, He'll show you. <clears throat> Don't be surprised. Sometimes, you know, hey, Lord, how am I doing here, my, you know, with my words and my and my attitudes? When when it, when the when the Bible says, "Be ye perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect," because it does say that not talking about every little thing of your life. You're never going to make a mistake or something. Stum- but he's talking primarily about your attitudes and relationships. And a lot of times when you ask God about these things and you're really sincere about knowing, the next thing you're going to see is a flare-up right in that place where he sees all the ugly in your life. And at that point, you'd be wise to go, oh, oh, okay, I see I see. Help me. Help me right there, Lord. I I want it. I want that to change. I'm giving that to you. Help me. Empower me. Lead me. Guide me. Teach me. And he will. He loves you. Can't do it on your own. You need to know the source of the redeeming power for the tongue. Just like last week we talked about all the places Jesus bled. And he redeemed all of those things. Those aspects of the curse back to you. Freed you from those things. If you apply his truths. And stand in faith. Same thing here. The only one that can redeem your speech. And your thought life is God himself. Godly wisdom has to be imparted to us. Worldly wisdom will lead to a tongue that's infused with bitterness and it'll show itself through bragging and denying God's truth and boasting all sorts of things and cursing and saying the things and doing things that we shouldn't. We see it all over the world and especially in our nation. We see it in our educational system. We see these educators who are full of the wisdom and knowledge of the world. But what did we learn two weeks ago? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. They haven't even begun to have real wisdom. Only the kind that brings death and corruption and leads people astray. Not all, not all educators, and that's at home today because you getting ready to go back to school. So I want to make sure that teachers and educators know we love them and we're for them. But be careful that you don't fall into the trap of the godless agenda of many of these higher schools of education. If a young person goes off to one of them and they get there with any sort of faith in God, they, their goal is to make sure they don't leave with it. And it's good to know that. Because if we know the tricks and traps of the devil, then we're better prepared to resist the devil. Because we know if we resist him, what? He will flee. He will flee. That's a promise. I see the media, the same situation, entertainers. Ever somebody put a deal the other day about George Carlin? He's some comedian that maybe in another life I I might have thought was kind of funny. Although he was always kind of disgusting. And now I just see him as a pathetic, godless person in need of salvation he has a whole skit about how how uh, about religion and how stupid it is basically and it's all based on wrong thinking wrong information talking about a god that has 10 rules that you have to be you know he doesn't understand anything these 10 rules is all he has for you to go by and or he's going to get you, and he always needs more money. And so he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't worship somebody that wasn't better with money than God appears to be, because he's always in need of more money. You know, he's just making jokes, stupid jokes. He doesn't understand anything. Otherwise, he wouldn't say those things. Bill Maher is another one. Man, what a great Christian he would make. What a great charismatic guy, man. I really just I would really just want to like him and just be his friend, but I I need him to be a Christian. He's such a hater of Christianity and of of all things that he can't understand. He thinks he's so smart and so wise and and he's made this movie uh, basically condemning himself to hell. Religiosity or whatever, laughing at Christians and mocking at Christians as they so often do. Making Christians seem so pathetic and and uninformed and you know just backwards, right? But Yo, we know intelligent man, but he doesn't give credit for his godly wisdom, and that's and that's part of the danger, and that's what you see a lot of that in the New Testament about the Greeks of, of the of the old of the New Testament of the time of the Lord they were the ones of higher learning and they always wanted to understand and to be able to figure it all out and and I see that in a lot of people that have educated themselves right out of their faith and it doesn't have to be that way but it's just like there's a certain point where they get where just all all that stuff that just, that requires faith to believe in things that they can't put a quantity to or a a measure or see or uh, describe based on science or some other knowledge that they've accumulated, then it's ridiculous. But godly wisdom will lead to pure speech and peaceable speech Worldly wisdom is earthly and carnal and unspiritual and demonic and it leads people astray. Look here, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Worldly wisdom shows itself through jealousy and selfishness ambition is something to be very careful of you need to be mindful that the motivation behind everything is god and and things that are considered good to god otherwise it can get you in a lot of trouble it leads to disorder and every kind of evil and strife and Without God, this is really our default. This is what we're, this is normal for the world to, to be like that. Get while the getting's good and do unto others before they do unto you and things like that. If it feels good, do it. Say it. Don't let them do that to you. Tell them, put them in their place. You know, that kind of thinking. That kind of pride that is actually taught to young people, it was to in our families, Tavana and mine, we, we were taught that that was right. that was the way to be. Don't come home after you took a whooping unless you're ready to go right back the next day and make it right. Dumb stuff. but we were taught like that) <laughs> But godly wisdom comes from above. And this is what we need. We need to be dependent upon God. He needs to be the source of our wisdom, of our understanding, of our motivation, of our speech. Because if it's not pure and peaceful, if if it doesn't lead to peace, then we need to find out what's driving us because the peace of God is supposed to be the umpire in our heart. People call me a lot of times I talk to people all day, all all the time. I talk to people. And when they're in the midst of something, it's really hard and it's so it's wise when like if I'm in a if I'm not myself, if for me to call somebody Who knows and loves God and knows the Word. Because I need to get to a place where the peace of God can umpire in my heart and lead me and guide me. Because without that, I won't hear Him properly. And I need somebody at that time who can lead me back on His path. Our speech. And the type of wisdom that we employ, godly or worldly, that governs our lives and puts on show the condition of our heart toward God for Him to see and for the world to see. Our words reveal everything, really, about our heart. And you say, Well, I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> Well, at some point, you have to. And it's necessary. It's good to talk. But not so much, maybe. And I tell you, sometimes we don't know what to say. And it's probably better to say nothing. Until we do have the peace of God ruling in our hearts again. But we can always ask ourselves if we are on that path of maturity If we're maturing in our speech, if we're maturing in our thought life toward God. Or is our tongue uh, this restless evil that we can't control? Oh, Aesop's fable, he said it was, the answer was just to control the tongue. But here we learn in James that apart from Christ, that's really impossible. And so redeemed speech and wisdom only come from the work of the only Redeemer himself, Jesus Christ. And we need to ask him and we need to let him or allow him to work in our lives in this area. Amen. James, in a, in the first chapter of this book, he says in, in 119, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And this is on the cover of your bulletin today. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to... We need to make sure that we're pondering, we're meditating on God's truth instead of on the, the sicknesses of this world, the lies and the corruption of this world. Because out of the abundance of the heart, or out of the overflow, we're going to speak. We're going to do some creating either for God or for the devil. And we always want it to be the former. And Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Or every idle word. That's what it means, careless. Josh said, huh? But Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's the answer. I can talk to people or I can look at myself in the mirror when I'm not myself. And I know I need to go and be with the Lord. I need to pray. I need to get in the word. Because without it, you're going to get off course. Because this world is full of things that the enemy has planted here to to try and get your time, to get your joy, to fill your mind with things that are not of God, but are of Him. And they'll create death in your life, whether it's through your words or through sickness or whatever. It's going to get you thinking wrong, and wrong thinking is going to produce wrong things in your life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You see that? Christians are supposed to counsel one another. We're not supposed to keep our own counsel, especially when we find ourselves wanting to be alone. Not for reasons of wanting to be with God or to be in prayer, but reasons just, just want to be left alone right now. You know, I just want to, I just need to, I don't want to. Talk to me. you. Feel, you should feel it. I don't want to be around any Christians. I don't want to go to church. That's a bad sign. It's saying that the enemy is striving for your time and affection, and he has put some things in there that God wants to shine that light on and drive that darkness away. And he's trying to get you to agree with him, just like the wolf who tries to get that one sheep away from the, the flock so he can do his damage. But we need to always remember that we're supposed to run toward God and not away from him, toward fellow believers and not away from. Him. Sometimes we're running away from believers because it's hard to find any, anyone really <laughs> walking it out. You know? It's like, man, I find more faith on the street than I do in the church. Not in our church, of course, but you know what I'm saying. Jesus gets a bad rap and a lot of the times it's because of bad Christians not that they're bad through and through if they're saved they're his but because of their attitudes and relationships and they're setting a poor example and this is where our words come into such heavy heavy accountability because it's one thing to bring harm to ourselves but sin in all its forms you know I I used to be one of those just out there in the world and just Stupid and full of pride, and I just don't worry about me. I ain't hurting nobody. You just leave me alone. I'll mind my business. You mind your. That's so selfish and stupid because sin in your life hurts everyone that you know and a lot of people you don't know. So there's no no uh, sin that doesn't have any victims. It has a lot of victims. And then you're one of the casualties of it as well. So let's just get God to help us in this area. Let's think about the things we say. And let's make sure that we're keeping the Word before us. Spending plenty of time in the Word. Having scriptures in our hearts to meditate on. And and to pray about. To talk to God about. Always have something... When somebody asks you, what's the Lord been talking to you about? It should always, there should always be something from the word that has really got you right now. You know, oh man, he's been showing me this and this and oh man, just so and so, you know. And I saw myself in there, man, you know. I mean, there should be things like that you talk about because that's, it's, you should you should hunger for the things in this book. Because it's written to you from the one who loves you more than anybody ever will. Who created you and he wants you to know him and this is how he reveals himself to you. And in turn shows you who you really are now since you are just like him. Amen. Amen. I'm going to stop there today and we're going to delve into this further next week. Amen. Father, thank you for this word, for your love, for your teaching. For all the good things that you are to us. And Lord, thank you for helping us to learn and receive correction through your words. So that we don't have to fall into the devil's traps out in the world because of our mistakes. We just receive correction right now in the ways of our words. We just ask you for wisdom. And we know that you will give it freely to those of us who seek you and ask you for it. Give us wisdom for our words, Lord, in the meditations of our heart. Fill our hearts with your desires and our mouths with your words. In Jesus' name, amen.